belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for August 6, 2023 is called Ears, Thumbs, and Big Toes. The teacher is Betty Wilton, and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Good morning, again. I won't ask how you are again. <laughs> Thanks to everybody who's joining us online or listening on the podcast. My name is Betty Wilton. And this morning, I'm going to chat to y'all about blood on earlobes, thumbs, and big toes. Exodus is a wild book. What can I say? We're going to talk about sacrifices, blood, and Israel's priesthood. And hopefully, by the end, we will see how these ancient things can help us understand our faith a little more. I mean, that piques some of y'all's interest, right? Did I get you? Okay. Our verse this morning comes from a section of Exodus where God is giving Moses the instructions for consecrating or ordaining Israel's priests. This section of Exodus is filled to the brim with very particular instructions, lots of measurements and materials that truly I cannot pronounce. Um, And honestly, sometimes when I read these types of passages, I'm like, so what? You know, why does that matter to my faith now? What in the world does blood on earlobes, thumbs, and big toes have to do with my relationship with God and others? Well, we chatted about exactly this in the teaching team meeting this week because surprisingly, I was not the only one asking these questions. While we try to figure out um, how this text could help us understand our identity as believers today, Jennifer brought up several good points, as she does. She reminded us that texts like these are important because it was important to Israel's story. And when we better understand Israel's story, we also better understand Jesus and his culture and his time. And I believe that this is part, that this part of Israel's story also helps us understand what it means to be part of this priesthood of all believers. Because really, we can't understand Jesus as our high priest or our role as the priest in the priesthood of all believers without digging into the creation of Israel's priesthood. So let's jump in. For some context, our verse comes in the middle of a new section of Exodus from where we were before. And just before this new section starts, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders went up the mountain and participated in Israel's covenant ceremony with God. After this covenant was secured and the others went down the mountain, Moses stayed and received God's instructions for the tabernacle and the priesthood. And our text today comes from this section of instructions for both the tabernacle and the priests. And while reading all of this painstakingly specific instructions, for it's less than thrilling for sure, When we pull up and see the wider lens, we see that these instructions actually pivot Israel's story in a really new and exciting way. This section of of Exodus is all about God making a way for his holy presence to be within their community and giving them access to him in a new and really vulnerable way. The tabernacle is basically a portable sanctuary that will provide a place for God to dwell among the people along their journey and allows the people to engage with God on a regular basis. And Jennifer is going to talk more about this next week, but I want to focus here for a moment just because the tabernacle really 
helps us better understand the priesthood. This pivot from hiking up the mountain into this ominous cloud um, on Mount Sinai, thundering and lightning, and sometimes there's fire. Now we're moving to a portable sanctuary, that changed, and it changes the way that God is present among his people. Ongoing, rather than occasional, accessible, not distant, on the move with them, and not fixed. In these instructions, God is explaining how his people are going to be set apart for a task, to be faithful to the word of God in their daily lives for the sake of their relationship with God and for the life, health, stability, and flourishing of the community. These instructions are all about the people's vocation, not just their status as God's treasured possession or covenant partners. The creation of the tabernacle and the priesthood go hand in hand. They move us from Israel's status as God's covenant partners to the action that will show their new identity. Their way, they are God's way of saying, I want my people to know me and have a relationship with them. So let's look a little closer at how the priesthood plays a part in this. Very simply, the priest's role is to represent God to the people and the people to God. They are now the mediators of this covenant relationship. And as such, they enable a reciprocal relationship to start between God and the people in a way they've never had before. Now, this isn't a reflection on the priest's qualifications or superiority. The priests are able to mediate this relationship solely because God called them to do so and has given them the tools to do so. The instructions for this ordination ceremony make it very clear that God is the initiator of all of this. And while God is the initiator, this reciprocity comes into play immediately because these new systems will really only work if the people would respond in obedience. And we see this dynamic throughout Exodus and really throughout the whole Bible, that there's this really powerful mixture of divine and human agency. And our passage this morning is no different. So let's get into our text. We're in Exodus 29, verse 20. You shall slaughter the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the lobes of the right ears of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their feet and dash the rest of the blood against all sides of the altar. Like I promised. Bloody ears, thumbs, and toes. Um, but before we get to that part, we're going to start with the sacrifice, the slaughtering of the ram. It's impossible to comprehend any Old Testament religion without understanding the crucial role of sacrifice. In the ancient Near East, sacrifices were widely a widely understood practice. They were simply seen as an offering given to a deity in a very ritualized manner, and in doing so, they were acknowledging their belief in this transcendent power. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that sacrifice was a key way to access, worship, and interact with God. Sacrifices for the people of Israel were the way in which they, the faulty humans they were, could demonstrate their faith in a holy God. Sacrifices enabled them to do so many things, to draw near to God, receive God's covenant, to become God's holy people, maintain God's presence in the community, 
be freed from guilt, reconcile their relationships, and even celebrate God's saving actions on their behalf. And the priesthood played a very crucial role in this. As I mentioned before, the priesthood was created to mediate this new kind of relationship between God and his people, one that was centered on reciprocity. One of the main ways they did this was by mediating all of Israel's ritual sacrifices. Through Israel's sacrificial system, anyone in the community could approach God with a sacrifice, but they needed the priests there to mediate this interaction through carefully controlled and choreographed rituals. These rituals significantly shaped the way people understood the nature of their relationship with God. Sacrifices also inherently communicate reciprocity. The people or person offer something to God in hope of receiving some kind of relational or material benefit in return. And obviously, there's an imbalance of power in this dynamic, right? Obviously, the benefits that God could give them in return for their sacrifices far outweighed the actual value of the sacrifice. So really, the sacrifices, these animals or the bread or the oil, whatever it was, and all of these ritual acts were merely a token expression of their devotion, loyalty, and thanks to God. It's like an acted-out prayer. So this ritual sacrifice of the ram in today's text can be seen as the way in which Aaron and his sons act out their prayer of dedication, wholly in service to God, offering their lives as, a living, as living sacrifices to this ministry of the priesthood, a ministry of mediation. And the rest of this ordination ceremony, using the blood of this sacrifice, continues as an acted-out prayer. As it is with any ritual or ceremony, symbols are everywhere. In this ceremony, we hear the blood of the ram is put on the right earlobe, right thumb, and right big toe. Does anyone have any ideas about what these parts of the body could symbolize? Throw it out there. Hearing, doing, going, yeah. Others? Okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks. I'm just no, that was great. Uh, <laughs> in the ancient Near East and in many places today, blood symbolizes life. The blood is put on these parts of the body to symbolize that all of their life, from head to toe, is being dedicated to this service of God that God has called them to. They will forever represent the God to the people and the people to God. So the blood on the earlobe symbolizes hearing the word of God and also hearing the needs of the people, actively listening to God and to the people. The blood on the thumb represents both the work of God and that they will have their hands full doing, like we said, Sean, and that they also must always have something to offer that is not of themselves, but of God. All of this work is to ben benefit the community as a whole. And the blood on the big toe symbolizes that they're called to walk, to go in the ways of God, guiding the people and living their lives in obedience. All of these symbols point to the fact that 
the priests cannot fulfill their responsibility to represent God to the people unless they are in communion with God, hearing his words, receiving his gifts, and walking in his ways. Jennifer noticed that all of these symbols show us that being in this priesthood requires intense intentionality, and it's just a huge responsibility. The people's ability to access God and have this relationship with him depended largely on the priest's faithfulness to obey God's commands. This isn't something that they could take, take lightly. This whole system is dependent on human and divine agency. And while they did not, while they did need to be, they did need to be obedient, the goal of the priesthood, with all their lengthy and particular instructions and all, the goal is not perfection. God knew in creating this system that there was always a risk of human failure. That's part of the vulnerability of this system that God enters into. And Alex kept bringing us back to this point during our teaching team meeting this week that all of these symbols, ceremonies, sacrifices are about direction, not perfection. Rituals are designed to orient us to God, and the priesthood was meant to use them to do just that. They used these tools to bring the people into continual remembrance before God and to help the people build this reciprocal relationship with him. However, the priestly system only gave the people a glimpse of what was to come. This system could never be perfect, but it, was, it built the foundation for the people to have this new relationship. And it still helps us understand Jesus as our high priest. The Aaronic priesthood continued from Exodus all the way through the life of Jesus, but like the priesthood, the priesthood, like most of Israel's systems, became riddled with corruption. And we see that God has a plan for a new priesthood throughout the prophets. In Zechariah 6, God promises he will send one who will be a royal priest who rules over the nations from on high. This is what was to come. The writer of Hebrews reminds us in chapter 7 that Israel's priesthood only provided a hint of what goes on in the true sanctuary of heaven. So Jesus' priestly work far surpassed what these other priests did since he was working from a far better plan. The writer continues to explain Jesus is this high priest, saying, Though he was God's son, he, turned, he learned trusting obedience by what he suffered, just as we do. Then, having arrived at the full stature of his maturity, and having been announced by God as high priest in the order of Melchizedek, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who willingly obey him. So now, we have a high priest who perfectly fits our needs, completely holy, uncompromised by sin, with authority extending as high as God's presence to heaven itself. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't have to offer sacrifices for his own sins every day before he can get around to us and our own sins. He's done it once and for all, offered himself as a sacrifice. The law appoints as high priests people who are never able to get the job right, done right. But this intervening command of God, which came later, appoints the Son who is absolutely eternally perfect. Jesus has offered this ultimate sacrifice, and now Christ is our altar, our great mediator, 
just as the priests were instructed to do. He offered his life so that we might be able to approach God. He offered the world around him the fullness of God and brought people to God. So now, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are all spiritual priests called to offer our lives as living sacrifices with ears filled with the word of God and listening to the people around us, hands filled with the work of God and serving the community around us, and feet walking in the ways of God. And the writer of Hebrews continues and reminds us that Jesus truly fulfilled this two-way role of the priest, right? Representing God to the people, but also representing the people to God. And right, we don't have a high priest who's out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all. So let's walk right up to him and get what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. So then what does this ancient ritual of consecrating priests have to teach us? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 through 2, a great example of what it looks like to slaughter the ram, put blood on our earlobes, our thumbs, and our big toes. I mean, relatively speaking, but he writes, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. There's that direction piece again. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. There's that set apart for a task bit. Instead, fix your attention on God, that direction. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. There's that hearing. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its levels of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'll invite the worship team to come back up as we finish up. Towards, oh gosh, hold on, lost my place. Intermission. There we go. Towards the end of this ordination ceremony, the priests are invited to eat at the table. This isn't unique to just this type of ceremony. All of these sacrificial rituals that usually included food or drink, they were utilized in a table fellowship. This feasting together initiates, maintains, and renews social bonds between one another and between us and God. This... um, the things used for the sacrifices were the people's best things, whether that was their best animal from their flock or best bread. The people would just give God something of value, of real value, from among their possessions. Because is this not what reciprocity requires? That we offer God the level of things that we hope to receive? Is this where I ask y'all to bring me thousands of dollars and then promise you that God will give you all these benefits? I mean, maybe? No. It's not that kind of church, sorry. (laughs) I do mean to say, though, that if our hope, what we're hoping to receive from God is that God transforms our world and brings spiritual, emotional, physical, 
wholeness to us, our neighbors, and our earth, then how can we come to him with anything less than our whole selves, ready and willing to serve the world around us? The priesthood of all believers requires intense intentionality. It requires us to regularly dwell in the presence of God so we can serve our world according to his direction. One way we do this is by modeling the practice of our ancient storytellers. We come together to regularly sit at this table, representing Jesus' sacrifice, and remind ourselves of our vocation as priests. That we are called to represent God and to represent the world around us to God. To bring the world around us towards the heart of Jesus in prayer and in loving action. So come and take part in this table fellowship that you are so readily invited to. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. If you would like to give, you can go to gracechurchnwa.org forward slash give. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.